0: Today's Bible reading is from Exodus chapter 20, Exodus 20. Let me pray before we read. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to read your word together. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Help us to listen well, and we pray that you'll be with Dave as he preaches your word. In your name we pray. Amen. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do. You shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Excellent. Well, let's, uh, let's pray again as we uh, get into God's word. Father God, we give you great thanks that all scripture, uh, including the Old Testament, including uh, your law, the Ten Commandments, are good and able to make us wise for salvation. They are your breath, your words, and useful for us in teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. And we do pray that as you do your work through us through your word, that you would help us thoroughly equipped for every good work. Please be working in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's the uh, one word that comes to your mind when I say the Ten Commandments? Well, I did a pretty small poll uh, this week. Uh, and it was unanimous. The first word that comes into people's minds are rules. Rules, rules, and more rules. They're just a bunch of rules. And so when we think of rules, when well, we think of the rules and laws that govern our society, like the driving rules, I must stick in my lane, I must not speed, I must not stop on a single-lane bridge just to admire the view because I'll be fined or worse. But there are more. There's tax laws, there's child safety laws I just spoke about. There's construction, business laws. There are endless number of rules and laws that govern our society. And lots are good, but many will make us feel restrictive, like in WA, uh, where it's an offence. It is illegal to have more than 50 kilograms of potatoes. It's true. Check out Google. There are laws that are governed by our governments, that are enforced by the police. But when it comes to the Ten Commandments, we can see them in the same way. We can think of them as just a bunch of rules, things that we must do, because if we don't, well, we'll be in trouble. But you see, the word for law in the Old Testament has a very different understanding, a very different meaning to then our understanding of the word in the West. You see, the word law in the Old Testament has this sense of pointing to the way. And so if someone comes and asks you for the directions, oh, do you know where this station is? And you you point them in that right direction. Oh, it's over there. You see, that's that's the way the idea it conveys, of instruction, of teaching, of direction, guidance. And that's not how we think of the law in our society today. But the law provided Israel, God's people, Uh, direction, instruction for how they were to conduct their lives, how they were to live, even though they were often commands that needed to be obeyed. Well, last week we saw that Israel were at the foot of the mountain. They had gotten prepared to, to hear God speak and this would be the one time that they would hear God speak in the flesh, not through Moses, not through a prophet, but through God himself. And when it comes to the Ten Commandments, the context is really, really important. And and the first couple of verses here are key, key to our understanding them. So have a look there uh, in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And the very first thing God does here before he utters a command is he points out he is gracious. He, It's God's grace. You see, God is the one who saved them, who rescued them. We've been seeing that story unfold in the last 19 chapters. He's the one who carried them on eagles' wings and brought them safely out of slavery to himself. But more than that, we saw that Israel are God's treasured possession. They are extremely special and important to the Lord. And so the key here to understanding the law is, and why verse 2 is so important, is that God saved his people first before he required anything of them. It is God's grace, his undeserved favor towards Israel. That comes well before the law. Salvation before obedience. And if there is one thing I want you to go home and remember today, if it's just one thing, it's that. The grace, God's undeserved favor, comes before the law. Salvation before obedience. Grace before the law. Well, God saved and rescued his people, but how is it that they are to live as God's people? Well, the content of the commands show us how they are to live. Uh, And we're going to have a look through these, and uh, what we're going to notice is that they reflect God's character. The commandments, they reveal to us what God is like. He is a holy God. He is set apart. He is distinct. He is different but he's also gracious god is a holy and gracious god and we're going to look at those two things uh, in turn uh, first up is is god is holy see holiness is is the thing that makes god so utterly different from us that makes him so set apart distinct different from us in every way and it's the difference that it's that difference that makes that makes him the awe of our adoration towards him, of our of our awe, our respect, and and even our dread. He is totally pure and righteous, and so perfectly just and right in all that he does. You see, God is a holy God, and and we saw His holiness displayed in chapter nineteen. Israel needed to scrub up so that they could hear God speak. They they needed to be consecrated. That is, they needed to be to be made holy. Because when a holy God becomes in contact with something that is unholy, well, death results. You see, the commandments reflect God's holiness. So let's look at the, the first couple in turn. Verse 3, have a look there. You shall not have you shall have no other gods before me. you see, because God rescued them, and because He saved them, they are to have no other gods. God showed such great love and and might towards them, He was faithful to his people, and while this isn't a payback for what God has done, it's rather showing their devotion to God alone. God is worthy of their devotion, of their allegiance alone because of what he has done for them. And so that is very different from the nations around them, particularly the land where they are about to go into that is different. Who will have multiple gods, gods for every occasion. I'm sure if it was today there'd be a footy god and a something else god and a marriage god, a fertility god, a, fire, a death god. They had gods for every occasion. But there was no God who rescued them on eagles' wings. Types of gods. You see, they were to be different. Different from the nations around them. Separate. Holy. They were to have no other gods. Well, the second commandment, verse 4, have a look there. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or, on the Earth beneath or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them; for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. you see in God's holiness, he prohibited the making of images of of idols of objects of of the creation to be worshipped, because they would diminish the, the trueness and exclusive true God. And see anything that undermines uh, the worship of God alone well that is to be avoided and you see while well, this includes the, the carved image of, of another God like the nations who may have made who made plenty of idols or, or gods or images of, of wood or some other kind of material that would be open to the elements and birds could do their business on them whilst it includes false gods you shall not make an image, it also included images of the one true living God. Because to make an image of the Lord God, well, is really just one step away from turning that thing into God himself and turning God into an image of his creation. See, we need to remember that God is completely sovereign and all-powerful who created all things. And so he can't be just reduced to, to one single image or, or idol or, or picture. And so if we want a portrait of what the Lord looks like, if we want to know what the Lord is like, we need to listen to his word. Moses spent some time with, with, with God up on, the, on, up on the mountain. We kind of see that a little bit, little bit later. And when he returns from the mountain, what does he come with? He doesn't come back with an image, a picture of God. He comes back with God's word written on tablets, in fact, inscribed by the finger of God on two stone tablets. If we want a portrait of what God is like, we need to go to him in his word. Well, the third commandment, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You see, God's name represents his character. What is God like? Well, he is holy and just. He is faithful to his promises. What he says, he does. He overflows with mercy and love. His name represents all that what God is like. And so to misuse his name uh, uh, and to say he's something that he is not, well, that is a no-no, that is wrong. And so while it may include, and, and certainly does include, using God's name as a, as a swear word, it's actually so much more than that. Like using his name as an authority when there are no grounds to do so. For an example, it might be, oh, well, God told me to tell you this about something, and even though it may be contrary to his word. It's it's to use his name as an authority, even though there are no grounds to do so. But there are many other ways that that can be done. See, the commandments show God's character. He is a holy God, and and as you continue to scan through the the commandments, we can see that. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. They all reflect God's holy character. I've got a couple of uh, school-aged children, and I have seen firsthand the many crazes that hit the schoolyard. And it's crazy. Every year it's lame, but every year Term 2 footy cards are a hit. Everyone loves footy cards. Everyone's got their footy cards folders, and they're busy trading. It's Beyblades are back in. in earlier this year. Now it's some weird, lame transformer ball thing. They're lame. They break. I don't like them. There's always some new fad that sweeps the schoolyard. And I think things might have been different in, in our day, whether it be yo-yos or Pokemon cards, Tarzos, stationery, Berwin, thank you, uh, slap bands, there are so many things that craze, that hit the kids and they just go mad for them. They chase after them because, well, they don't know who they are yet. But they want what everyone else has. And they're infants. They haven't got the maturity to to discern for themselves. And as God speaks to his people, before they enter the land, they're learning what God is like, the God who has rescued them. He is a holy God. And so they are to serve him by being like God, by being mature, not infants, not being crazed by the nations around them and chasing after any other God, but to be but with discernment of who they are in God, the one who has rescued them. Well, God's character reflects, uh, is reflected in the commandments. He's a holy God, but He is also gracious. God's gracious. We see his grace in the goodness of the commands. I was reading this week that even some atheists will recognise the commandments as good, faultless even. And they are. Could you imagine what the world would be like if everyone followed them? No murder, no theft. What a safe and wonderful world it would be. There would be no fear to walk around at night. Our doors would be unlocked. The kids could roam the streets. There'd be no need for the police force. But that is not what the world is like. It's kind of like going on a bushwalk. You take a bit of a shortcut. You think, yeah, this is going to do me good. You take this shortcut. But you end up stuck in mud, and it's awful. Like, it's this mud pit. You're really trapped in it. You're just getting further and further. Anyway, you make such little progress. Anyway, you finally get out of this mud pit. You've been in there for hours. And you land on, on sure, trustworthy, solid ground. Well, you see, the commandments are like that. They are good and would make a world of difference if they were kept because they stem from God's gracious character. The commandments are broken up into to two halves, the first four in relationship to, to God and, and the next six in how we relate to, to each other, to, to, to people. And they really show that people are valued. And so to show God's uh, gracious character, let's have a look at the, the next couple, verse 12 there. Honour your father and mother. And look, at, it makes sense, doesn't it? Look, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the ugliness of, of a child rebelling against their parents, the dysfunctional family. It's not attractive. As a child, cause may- mayhem by not getting what they want. Or even worse, an adult child who murders their parent because they want the inheritance early. And yet we see the goodness of God's rule in honouring your parents. You shall not murder. It's obvious, isn't it? The uncontrolled hatred of another. It's awful. There are no winners. We see it in road rage. (coughs) I don't get to watch the news uh, very often. It's a really, really hard time with kids, but I was at this uh, footy event uh, 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 recently with with my kids, and the news was on. These big screens of, of the news were on. No sound, but every kid was watching glued to these TV screens. And we watched this man get out of his car and bash the living daylights out of another driver. Uh And and they kept on repeating it again and again and again. I think this is why I don't watch the news. Um, And why? Why had this guy got out to to pummel this guy? Well, he veered into his lane. And so he was just outburst with rage. It is awful. Road rage that can lead to awful violence and even murder. There are no winners in that. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. There are no winners when the family life breaks down because of sexual unfaithfulness. There are no winners for the children who are are raised in split families, who miss out on having a mother and a father raise them together in the home. Verse 15, you shall not steal, give false testimony, covet. You see, God wants his people to be free from the damage of theft from the dodgy deception of the law courts or or even being plagued by the grass is always greener on the other side. God wants his people to be free of those things. And these things really reflect God's grace. Emily and I, we really enjoy playing uh, board games. But one of the the difficulties I find is getting a new game and, and that is the rule book. The rule book is always tricky, and particularly with this board game we've got, it's called Puerto Rico. The rule book is massive, it's huge. 12 pages of small font, rule after rule after rule after rule. They're really clear. You know, it's very thorough, and it's clear on how to play the game. But when you look at that rule book and you see how thick it is, you're like, man, it's a bit of a turnoff. You think, oh, is this game a bit of a flop? You, you think, man, I don't want to play this game. Look how bad that rule book is. But when you do, you actually realise it's a really fun game. It's It's really good. It's a great game. The rules may make it seem like it's a bit of a flop, but actually they're great and so helpful to enjoy the game. And when it comes to God's law, we can think of them as a flop. But when we consider what they are, and play by them and live by them they work and can make living for god really enjoyable well god spoke to his people on a mountain at the mountain and showed them how they were to relate to god how they were to live in the land that he was giving them and they were to reflect his character Because that's what the commandments did. They reflected his holy and gracious character and they were to be the same. Holy and gracious like him. But you see, there's a challenge to living by the commandments. And we see it in the people of Israel. Despite hearing God speak from the mountain and being reminded again and again, despite being in God's presence, they couldn't do them. They kept on breaking them. They, they couldn't keep the The law was perfect. It was good in every way. But they were not. They couldn't keep them because of their broken, sinful hearts. But you see, God knew. God knew that they couldn't do it on their own. And so many, many years later, many, many years later, after this moment in Exodus 20, after their hard rebellious hearts saw them kicked out of the good land that God had given them, they had been removed from the land, God gave them this wonderful promise in the book of Ezekiel. I've got it up on on the screen for us. God said this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, because of their hard hearts, they couldn't keep the law. But you see, God promised that a time would come, a time would come when he would give them new hearts, new hearts and give them his spirit, that they could keep and follow his law. Israel were to show their commitment to God by obeying the law. And for us in the Lord Jesus, who have put their trust and faith in him, we too are to respond in grateful obedience to his word. But here's the thing, we are not under the Old Testament law. And so it would be a mistake to read these commandments and apply them directly to us. Because we are not, we were not with Israel on that mountain hearing God at that time speak those words to us. That word, those laws were to a specific people at a specific time in a particular context. And so unless the Old Old Testament, sorry, New, unless the New Testament reaffirms them, we shouldn't feel the force of them. And yet all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for us today. And so they are helpful to show us God's character. But see, when it does come to the law, what does Jesus say? Well, he shows us in Matthew 5, it's on the screen, do not think, that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, Israel were unable to do the law because of their broken heart, broken, sinful, rebellious hearts, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. In fact, he was the only one who could do that. And so as Christians, we're not bound to the Old Testament law But it's interesting that when Jesus is asked about which is the greatest one commandment, what does he do? Well, he names them all and he brings them together. He says, love God and and love your neighbor. And Paul, when he gives a summary of what the Christian life of obedience looks like, he lists the commandments, particularly 5 to 10. He lists them in Romans 13. And so as God saved people in Christ, we too, like Israel, are to reflect God's character as we see in the commands. We're not bound to them in the same way, but we are to reflect God's character in being holy and gracious. But you see, Israel had their heart problem and couldn't keep the law, but we too have heart problems. Our hearts are hard and rebellious. And yet we get this really great encouragement and reminder in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8. If you've got a Bible there, please flick over to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. It's on page 916 on the church Bibles. Page 916, Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, which gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on reading, but I'll just pause us, pause us there just, just for the minute. Uh, We see here that for those who have put their faith, their trust uh, in the Lord Jesus, well, salvation is theirs. Uh, Life has been given to them. They have been set free, uh, set free from the law of sin and death. That is that sin leads to death. And while people were were powerless, weakened in the flesh to to live in a way that uh, upholds the law, they are unable to do it, you see, the law is not uh, mocked or, or, or noticed the law is good, but see, the issue is with people, with fleshly people who can't do it and fulfill it. But let's keep on reading. Back, back, from, back to verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so while fleshly people are unable to do the law, God provides Jesus as the one who can. You see, Jesus came in the flesh to fulfill the law, and he did what no one else could do. He fulfilled the law perfectly, without sin. And so Jesus removes the penalty of sin from us. He removes the power of sin from us and he does that through his death on the cross. And he takes the punishment and penalty that he's deserving on us onto himself. But see, as the righteous, innocent one, death has no power over him and he raises to life. And in this moment, he pours out his spirit. We have been declared righteous in God's sight, declared to have done the, having done the law. And he gives us his spirit so that we can. God doesn't leave his unsaved, he saved people, justified people to, to flounder, to, to wallow on their own like he may have done in the past. No, he gives us his spirit to work in us to help us to live the life that is required of believers. You see, Jesus has brought in this new age, the age of the Spirit, so that we can be obedient to God and his word, that we can be like God, holy and gracious. Now, God's not saying this is going to be easy. He's not saying either that we're going to be perfect. Absolutely not. There is no way God is saying that it's going to be hard work. We're not going to be perfect until Christ returns. But what we do have is a new direction, a different way to to live our lives. You see, the Spirit unlocks in us what the law couldn't. We can live God's way in obedience to him and we can grow in godliness uh, because of the Spirit's work within us. It's kind of like the artist, uh, Vincent van Gogh. He paints these incredible uh, pictures. And while we might be terrible artists, well, I am a very terrible artist, but could you imagine the artwork uh, that we would produce if Vincent van Gogh was there with us and he was holding your arm and your hand at the same time as you painted. And so he helped you stroke after stroke to paint a picture. And while it would be very hard work, stroke after stroke after stroke, you would produce an incredible masterpiece with his help. And that is the work of the Spirit in your life. He is working in you to produce the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, forgiveness, gentleness, self-control. You see, we need the Spirit's help to live a life of obedience to God's word. And while we will still struggle with sin, we will find it hard to love others. We will have outbursts of anger. We will struggle with selfishness and greed. We will struggle with self-control of being unforgiving, gossips, lying, jealousy, drunkenness, And while we will still struggle with these and so many more things, we need to press on in the faith. Faith, We can resist temptation. Is it going to be easy? No way. It's going to be hard work. But is it possible? Absolutely. Because the Spirit is working within us to do so. You see, God's Spirit was given to us through faith in the Lord Jesus. And as a result, we're not mastered by sin anymore. He works in us, making it possible for us to live God's way in obedience to his word that we can be like God, holy and gracious. And so what more do we need? Because in Christ we live according to the Spirit. God's law from the Old Testament, it is good. It reflects God's character, but we are not bound to the Old Testament like Israel were. But the Lord does show us what God is like. He is a good and gracious and holy God. And while we must obey God's word today, we do so with the help of the Spirit. He lives and works within us, making it possible for us to obey and to and to obey God's good word, but we do need His help, because on His own, well, we're boded it will not go well. It will not go well, and so let's ask God for His help, who's very happy to give it to us. Let's let's pray. Just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, "Be holy." Because I am holy. Father, you are a holy God, and you have called us to be a holy people, because that is who we are in Christ. Father, we are so thankful for your law. Uh, it is so good and wonderful, and it really does show and reflect your, uh, your character of holiness and grace, and for that we give you abundant thanks. Father, although we are not bound to the law, we give you great thanks for the work of the Spirit in our lives that makes it possible for us to to live in obedience uh, to you and your word. Father, we do pray that you would help us daily with our battle with sin each day to say no no to sin and yes to Christ, that we would not resist the work of the Spirit in our lives, but that we would do the hard work in preparation for the day when the Lord returns. We are so thankful for the way that you work in us through the work of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.